From the blaze of emergency response to the beacon of security and retirement, this is the Atlas Annuity Podcast with your host, Marty Becker. Strap in, folks. Marty isn't your ordinary retirement planner. He's the financial firefighter who swapped his helmet for a headset to bring you the hottest safe money strategies in retirement without an ounce of burn. From guarding lives in the face of flames, Marty now shields your savings from the unpredictability of the stock market. He's the president, the owner, and annuity expert at Atlas Financial Strategies. Here's your host, Marty Becker. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Atlas Annuity Podcast, episode number 10. I am your host, Marty Becker, and the owner of Atlas Financial Strategies in St. Louis, Missouri. In today's episode, we're going to talk about a lot of negative marketing around annuities. There are advisory firms out there that specifically target annuities because they want your investment business, which at the end of the day is totally fine. There's nothing illegal about it because it's no different than Ford advertising that Chevy sucks uh, by showing their trucks in like a towing competition or something like that. It's just negative marketing by one company to get you to come over and look at their product and then hopefully get you to buy it from them. So that's really all it is. While it cannot technically be considered slander by saying, I think this product sucks for these reasons, it is still somewhat dishonest when you don't give a full and accurate picture of what you're trying to talk people out of. Because maybe a Ford can out tow a Chevy, but maybe you're not buying it for the towing power. Maybe you're buying it for the comfort factor of the ride itself. So everyone is different and has different needs and wants. So in my business, to completely write off an entire sector of the financial world is completely intellectually dishonest. And no one writes off annuities more than Ken Fisher. So we're going to dive into Fisher's Investments Annuity Insights article that he offers people in exchange for your information so one of his advisors can reach out to you. And just for the record, this is not an assault on Fisher Investments or Ken Fisher himself or the Fisher Advisors. I personally know some Fisher Advisors and they're pretty smart guys. This is just an honest intellectual overview to point out where some facts about annuities have seemed to be maybe skewed or completely omitted from the Annuity Insights article. So this article is broken down into nine different questions. And then there is a response written for each question, some based on fact, some with a lot of conjecture. And then there's some straight up false information contained in this article as well. Here we go. So question number one, what type of annuity do I own or am I considering? Great question. This comes back to the question that I always ask, which is, what is the purpose of your money? Because based on your answer, we'll determine what type of annuity would be appropriate for you. Now, he breaks down three different types of annuities. Number one, fixed annuities, or what are actually called multi-year guaranteed annuities, or MIGAs. Now, the article reads, quote, fixed annuities typically guarantee a fixed or minimum rate of return over a set period similar to a bank certificate of deposit or CD. MIGAs or fixed annuities don't suffer losses at all. There is no generality about it. 
So unless you forfeit the annuity during the surrender period before the term is up, or if the company goes into receivership, which rarely, and I mean rarely ever happens, you cannot suffer losses. So life insurance companies, which are the ones that actually issue annuities, do not just close their doors and go out of business. It doesn't work like that. So these are heavily regulated companies that have several safety nets in place to where if they were in the unlikely case, the very unlikely case to go into receivership, there is several layers of safety nets that will help you get your money back, which you cannot say that about stocks because if the company that you're holding stock in goes into bankruptcy, you're basically SOL if you're a common stockholder because there are a lot of people in line in front of you that will get their money back first. So continuing with fixed annuities, other less restrictive investments may provide similar returns. We would not go into one of these because we may be looking for a similar return. Someone would fund a fixed annuity because they absolutely want to know what they're going to get with no questions asked at any point in the future and do it with no fees. So you see, this is my problem with this type of marketing. We're literally in part one of part one, and there's already some major presumptions happening here. The next part in part one is indexed annuities. And I'm literally reading this straight from the article itself. Indexed annuities offer a rate of return based on that of a specific market benchmark like the S&P 500, but typically with a cap on the portion of the market's return the owner will receive. Additionally, some indexed annuities are based on benchmarks that don't include dividends, which can limit your total return. This is absolutely true. What else can limit your returns? Excessive management fees and a market downturn. And then the third type of annuity that he talks about here is the variable annuity. Again, reading straight from the article, Variable annuities allow owners to invest a premium in subaccounts similar to a mutual fund, and they may offer a guaranteed minimum rate of return, even if the underlying assets underperform, but fees and other costs can detract from total return. Depending on whether you need your account to grow or provide income, an index, variable, or fixed index annuity may seem like a good choice, yet there may be more efficient less restricted ways to reach your goals. And yep, that's all true, which is why I personally don't like variable annuities. But also, of course, there may be more efficient and less restricted ways to reach your goals, but are there ways to do that without running the risk of losing your money is the question. Okay, question number two in the Annuity Insights article is, have I read and understood the contract? And again, reading straight from the article, FINRA and the SEC issued a report in 2004 indicating they had received a large number of complaints from individual investors about variable insurance products. Many of these complaints indicate that the customer was sold a variable product without fully understanding the product and expressed concerns that the product was not appropriate for them, given their investment objectives. First of all, he is solely talking about variable annuities. And I've said many times before, I don't like, sell, or recommend variable annuities because they are super complicated to understand. They do have very high fees 
Average fee is about 3.75% in a variable annuity. You could 100% lose money inside of them. And if you're doing it for income, normally a variable annuity provides a lower income than a fixed index annuity or a SPIA would. So variable annuities are what I refer to as the wolf in sheep's clothing. And then, of course, he mentions many of the complaints indicate that the customer sold a variable product without fully understanding the product. Now, the question is, again, he's talking about variable annuities, but I wonder how many complaints were filed about people being sold mutual funds or stocks or bonds or ETFs or REITs or any number of other financial instruments out there because they were not appropriate recommendations. I'm actually, I'm going to look that up at some point, maybe do another podcast on that, but honestly, to infer that the only complaints that were filed with FINRA and the SEC were about variable annuities is ridiculous. And again, he's talking about variable annuities, the wolf in sheep's clothing. And the article continues, the SEC indicates that before purchasing a variable annuity, you should be prepared to ask your insurance agent, broker, or financial professional questions about whether a variable annuity is right for you. Well, of course they recommend that. They recommend that before purchasing any financial product. It's no different than if you lease a car. Do you think the dealership recommends that you read the lease agreement? Uh, of course. So that's just a stupid point to make. The article continues. The devil is in the details, and the details are in the contract, prospectus, and prospectuses from any sub-account funds, which can amount to many hundreds of pages of information and disclosures. The devil is always in the details, and whether you pitch a variable annuity, the prospectus can be anywhere from 100 to 400 pages long. Personally, that's another reason I don't like them. Annuities are meant to be a simple solution. So the more complicated the product, the less appealing it becomes, not only to the client, but to me as the advisor. And then again, the rest of this section right here, and then the rest of this section refers to variable or equity index annuities, both of which are security products and probably wouldn't be a good recommendation when it comes to safe money solutions. But he ends it with, the bottom line is never sign what you haven't read. Only by reading all of these documents will you know all of the annuities conditions, restrictions, and cost. Otherwise, you may not really know whether an annuity is the right choice for your goals. Of course, you should never sign anything without reading it. Again, that's an idiotic statement. But I think what I find most insulting about this is there's an implication that not only his advisors, but all financial advisors are not just taking people's money if they haven't read the prospectuses on their recommendations. Because, for example, if a traditional advisor recommends 10 different mutual funds and each fund has a average 200 page prospectus. Basically what he's saying here is that he's not approving any new money into his fund until the client comes back and says, yeah, I've read all 2000 pages. I, I seriously doubt it. And again, it's just a disingenuous statement. Most fixed index annuities and fixed annuities have what's called disclosure statements that are anywhere from 10 to 20 pages long written in big print. And I actually go through each page with my clients when we're doing the application to make sure they understand those terms. But I would be willing to bet anything that's not happening with these other mutual fund or 
stock per prospectuses. And honestly, I think that's what bothers me most about the financial industry as a whole. For some reason, annuity advisors are held uh, to a much higher standard when recommending a product that will actually protect someone's money from loss and will give them guaranteed income. But the securities industry can just risk people's money and don't have any hoops to jump through uh, except having the client fill out some generic risk assessment. And I'm not saying uh, there aren't bad annuity recommendations out there, but the ma the vast majority of them that I hear were recommended by security advisors and because they're normally variable annuities. It's pretty rare that I hear an inappropriate recommendation from someone who specializes in annuities. Okay, moving on. Question number three. What types of expenses does the annuity have and what is the overall cost? It goes on to say, quote, most annuities don't have a single flat fee. Neither do management portfolios. In fact, there's about 15 other fees that can be hidden inside of a management portfolio in addition to the advisor fee. So I'll leave a list of those on the webpage and in the show notes. I think the most irritating one, the most irritating fee that I've heard of is this thing called a, a 12B1 fee, which is actually an advertisement fee that you pay for the fund. So they're literally taking your money to pay for their advertising so they can get more people into the fund and charge them fees. So if that's not the most irritating thing you've ever heard of in your life, I really don't know what would be. <laughs> so the chart below, again, quote, the chart below highlights some common separately charged fees and their hypothetical impact on a $100,000 investment in a variable annuity. And you know what? This is absolutely correct. But again, he's talking about variable annuities, and this is exactly why I call them the wolf in sheep's clothing. So in this whole section number three, question number three, it's about variable annuities. So I'm going to skip the rest of it because I think I've made myself clear on how I actually feel about them. And by the way, if you do have a variable annuity and you want to know exactly how much you are paying in fees, uh, I'm going to leave a downloadable PDF on the page, on my webpage that you can print off that will give you exactly all the questions you need to ask your variable annuity company. And I would call the company's 800 number. I would not call the advisor or the broker that sold it to you because they're probably not going to know the answers. And if you need help figuring out these questions or what to ask or what they actually mean, and you just want to see if there's a better deal out there in comparison to what you have with your variable annuity, just book a time to talk with me, which can be done at atlasannuity.com. Okay, question number four. What conditions must I meet to take advantage of the advertised benefits. Quote, a main selling point for many annuities is the ability to pay a fee to receive living benefit riders, which claim to guarantee income. Okay, stop right there because I'm not sure what he's getting at. There is no claim. It's a contractual obligation on the end of the annuity company. It's a unilateral contractual obligation. So they have to pay you if it's written in the disclosure. Okay. So again, I'm not quite sure what he's getting at, that it's only a claim. Okay. Continuing. Many benefit riders are only useful if your annuity performs 
relatively poorly. Okay, stop again. No, they are always useful if the whole purpose of the annuity is to provide guaranteed lifetime income. Continuing, and some require you to convert the annuity into a stream of payments known as annuitization. Okay, so there's a lot of inference here. It's a grain of truth with a shell of misdirection is all this is. The only time that you would have to quote annuitize your annuity would be if the original annuity that you have was not set up for income and then eventually you wanted an income from it. So if you just had a straight growth annuity, like a fixed index annuity or a fixed interest annuity, you got to the end of your term and said, hey, I like the idea of guaranteed income. If and only if you were to stay with that original company, would you then have to annuitize it to get the guaranteed lifetime income? Now, I would never recommend that, and you shouldn't do that because 99% of the time, I would say, you can just move that money to a different annuity company and start an actual income annuity that's going to pay you a lot more income and you will not be forced to annuitize it. So again, just a, a lot of misdirection. So then he goes into the different types of income riders. One, the guaranteed minimum withdrawal benefit. So I believe what he's referring to here is what's called a term certain that will pay you for a predetermined amount of time, say 10 or 20 years or something like that. Now they can serve a purpose. I personally have never written one of these because if we're going for income, normally it's always best just to get the lifetime income. The second rider he talks about is the guaranteed lifetime withdrawal benefit rider, which says this rider also provides a guaranteed income stream, typically a percentage of the principal, but the income stream lasts your entire life, even if your principal would have otherwise depleted, which is absolutely right. And the important thing to remember about these particular riders is that even if the annuity runs out of money, it will never run out of income. So if guaranteed income is what we're going for, this is probably the income rider that's going to be used. And then the third rider he mentions is the guaranteed minimum income benefit rider, which I've never seen this with a fixed index annuity or a SPIA. So I'm assuming he's referring to uh, variable annuities again. And then he talks about the waiting period. Many riders require a waiting period before you can withdraw income and receive the full guaranteed benefits. This waiting period is separate from the period where you may incur surrender fees for withdrawing funds. Some waiting periods can be as long as 10 years. So if there's any chance you'll need this benefit sooner, be sure you understand the contract conditions. So there are some annuities out there that make you wait at least one year. And some do have the provision to make you wait 10 years. That doesn't make them bad. That's just what those specific annuities are designed to do. But the vast majority of income annuities out there will allow you to start income immediately or within 30 days. And this is why you need to have a detailed discussion with your annuity advisor on what you want the annuity to provide you and when you want it to be provided. And then he goes on to limited investment options. 
Again, he's referring to variable annuities. I think I've made myself clear on how I feel about variable annuities, and it's probably best just not to touch on them in the majority of the cases. So then he talks about limited investment options. Again, he's referring to variable annuities, which I, I think I've made myself clear on how I feel about them. And normally they're just not going to be the best solution in the majority of cases out there. Okay, moving on again. Question number five, will I be charged a fee if I withdraw assets from my annuity too early? Okay, so annuities have what's called a surrender schedule, which I did an entire podcast on. So I'm not going to go into the details of why that is. I'll just recommend that you go and listen to episode number six uh, to get a full understanding of why annuities have a surrender schedule and what purpose it actually serves. But the main thing to remember about the surrender schedule is it's only applicable if you surrender the entire annuity. And if you're working with a competent annuity advisor, this should never be an issue because those provisions are already taken into consideration and you would always have enough money outside of the annuity, not only for other investment opportunities, but also for emergency expenses. But I think, again, this, this is kind of an irritating article. I think the most irritating thing about this particular section is they fail to mention that if you need your money back from your stocks, that you could never have a negative consequence like you could with an annuity. For instance, if you need to pull a lump sum of money out of your stocks and your portfolio is down 20%, what is your surrender charge? It's 20% but they never use language like that. And I think it's a very unfair double standard. Okay, so then he gets into the commissions that annuity advisors are paid. Annuities, and this is straight from the article again, annuities with longer surrender periods typically fetch higher brokerage commissions. Quote from the SEC, high commissions typically above 5% for variable annuities help drive sales of these products, end quote. Now, of course, you should always be concerned about what fees you're paying, and you do have the right to ask the commission that your advisor is making on this. And unfortunately, there are advisors out there that will try to talk you into a longer term than is necessary to make a higher commission. But your advisor should always be able to justify why they are giving you the recommendation that they are and the commission really is just a part of the transaction at that point. The main thing to keep in mind here is that if it is an appropriate recommendation, regardless of what the commission amount is, none of that comes out of your pocket if you're looking at a, a fixed interest or a fixed indexed annuity. That commission is paid directly from the annuity company itself. Unlike a variable annuity where there can be some front load fees and things like that. Now, Fisher and any other advisory firm for that matter, honestly, cannot say the same thing, that the money isn't coming out, out of your pocket because you're going to get charged a management fee, whether they make you money or whether they lose you money. And again, there isn't technically anything wrong with that. That's just how that side of the financial business works. But I do find it somewhat disingenuous to demonize someone who's making a commission who has done the work to help put you into a product that helps satisfy the purpose of your money. Because I could certainly go back and do a spin on 
their little tagline of you make more. When we make more, you make more. I could easily put a little reverse on their tagline of we do better when you do better because it could very easily turn into, hey, when you do terrible, we still do okay because you're going to pay the management fee no matter what. And that's going to come out of the account value of your investment portfolio. Okay, question number six. How can performance floors and caps affect my returns? Quote, simply put, floors are meant to protect investors from losing too much when the market is down a lot. Wrong. Floors are meant to prevent you from losing anything when the market is down. You cannot lose money in a fixed index annuity when the market goes down. Again, this is going back to variable annuities. So that's a blanket statement. And because it's a blanket statement, it's false because it's referring to one specific type of annuity. And the article continues, while caps are meant to protect insurance companies from paying out too much when the market is up a lot. Okay, hard stop. Hard stop. This whole article just lost complete credibility because that is 100% false. It doesn't work that way at all. The annuity company does not pay your growth out of their pocket. So they could care less if the market is up 1% or 100% because it does not affect their business operations whatsoever. So this is a completely false line here and needs to be completely disregarded. And in fact, this is such a misunderstood part of annuities that I did an entire podcast episode on how annuities make money and a whole separate episode on how annuity companies make money. That explains exactly how all this works. So again, this statement is completely false and should be completely disregarded. Okay, moving on. The article then goes on to say caps can limit your growth. And it gives an example that if you would have invested $100,000 on 1231 of 93, that it would now be worth almost 600000 And if you had put your money into an annuity at the same time with a 1% floor and a 5% cap, that annuity would be worth around 200000 which is a 187% better return with the stocks. Now, wow, those numbers are staggering and they are totally accurate. Here's the problem though. You can take very selective time periods and make stocks look amazing. And then I can take different time frames and make annuities look amazing. So this can be very deceptive. And I'll give you an example. So let's move the time frame from the year 1993 to the year 2000 and look at a 20 year period from there. Now we'll take the exact same parameters with the annuity of a 5% cap which by the way, I don't personally like caps. I don't use them very often, but we'll, st we'll stick with the example of that along with a 1% floor that's in this Fisher article. So a 5% cap and a 1% floor. We'll use the returns of the S&P 500 with dividends from the years 2000 to 2020, but we also have to consider a fee for that investment service of say 2%. In that scenario, starting with $100,000 at the end of 20 years, you would have a little over $249,000 of using just the S&P 500 with dividends. 
in that same time frame, with the annuity, you would have a little over $229,000. Again, the stock market still won, even paying the 2% management fee. Now, not by 187%, but by uh, around 8.7%. Now, that's a very different story when being told with the exact same criteria being applied. Now, let's take a look again at the exact same scenario, but this time we're gonna pretend that you're retired and you need the money for income and you're gonna withdraw the standard 4% for living expenses. And we're not gonna worry about inflation or anything at this point. Again, just to keep this example very simple, but just $4,000 per year coming out of the annuity and $4,000 per year coming out of the market account from the years 2000 to 2020. In the market account with the exact same set of criteria, withdrawing $4,000 a year starting the year 2000, you would have less than $30,000 left in your stock account, but you would still have 90,000 left in your annuity, which is a 200% difference. Now, my whole point of showing you this example is twofold. Number one, just be very suspect when you're looking at comparisons that are being presented in these type of articles. Because again, depending on the time frame selected, you can make stocks look really great or you can make annuities look really great. So this was a very specific time frame that was selected for this Fisher article when the market had some amazing returns to make stocks look superior. And number two, all this goes back to the purpose of your money. Because if the purpose of your money is to provide you income in retirement, we have to take into account a worst case scenario. Because if you retired in 2000 and started withdrawing your money, this would have been devastating for you. So first, you always need to ask yourself, what is the purpose of my money? And then you need to find out, okay, what is the worst case scenario in any option that I'm being presented? Okay, back to the article, question number seven, how are annuity income and principal taxed? Now, I'm not gonna do a, a deep dive into this because I'm gonna do a whole separate episode on this subject of taxes. But the big picture with taxes is if your money is in a qualified account, like an IRA or a 401k, you're going to pay normal income tax on the money when you take it out, no matter where it's invested, whether annuities or stocks, bonds, mutual funds, it doesn't matter. If you haven't paid tax on it yet, the government is going to get their money when you take it out. If you are using after-tax money, there are some different rules when it comes to the income for annuities. But if you're just deferring the money for growth, you can literally defer the taxes on that money forever by continuously just moving it from annuity to annuity. But then if and when you do want to take any of the money back out, you will be taxed normal income on the growth. Okay, moving on again. Question number eight, what impact will inflation have on my annuity income? Okay, so this is a deeper subject. And I've actually, I've made a case study video on this in the past that I will leave a link to in the show notes. The big picture when it comes to inflation that we have to keep in mind is that unfortunately, the majority of people out there do not have enough money just to have a rote 3% increase every single year. So when it comes to income planning, 
almost every scenario that wins is to get as much guaranteed income as you can from an annuity and then keep a large portion of your remaining assets into equities that are going to grow and help offset long-term inflation for you. And that probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense right now with me just saying it, but follow the link to that video and hopefully it will. And the last question, number nine, when I pass away, what impact will the annuity have on my survivors? And I'm not going to read through this just for time's sake, but again, he's doing a comparison of variable annuities. But I what I will say about this, if you are doing estate planning, get an estate planning attorney involved uh, that's going to help you with all of that. Because the best way to transfer money to beneficiaries is not stocks, it's not bonds, it's not mutual funds or CDs or even annuities. It's life insurance. Life insurance is one of the best ways that you can transfer money completely tax-free to your beneficiaries. All right, everyone, let's start wrapping this up here with the conclusion of the Annuity Insight article by Fisher Investments. The in summary section, quote, ultimately, the most important outcome is that you reach your investing goals. On the surface, annuities may seem like a safe bet, especially during times of market volatility. However, they often have significant drawbacks that aren't readily apparent to the average investor. Before committing yourself to an annuity, be sure you ask all the right questions and understand all the details, end quote. Well, to be honest, I couldn't agree more, Ken. Before committing yourself to any investment, you should ask the right questions. And I couldn't agree more, Ken. Before committing yourself to any investment, you should ask the right questions. And what I would love to see is an article of pertinent questions that should be asked to traditional advisors that are pushing stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. And then moving on to the conclusion, the annuity evaluation. And here's the hook, or what's called the call to action, which is the whole purpose of this article, the annuity evaluation. Now, I've heard of this happening before. Luckily, it hasn't happened to any of my clients. But others who had perfectly good annuities and then were talked into surrendering them during the term just to put the money back at risk in the market. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have this evaluation done, but something tells me that they're going to find something wrong with the annuity that you have and give you some really good reasons why you should put your money back into the market so you can get all these fantastic returns like they're showing in this article. So you're going to want to read the, the terms and conditions of this offer because the problem is when you surrender annuity, you take the surrender loss and Fisher says he's going to make that up when you move the money over to him. However, he doesn't just give you that money, okay? He makes it up in the form of management fee credits. So my personal concern with this, especially when you're dealing with a company that obviously doesn't fully understand annuities, is let's say you surrender the annuity and you take the loss in the surrender charge, send it over to, it doesn't even have to be Fisher, it could be any advisory company, and then the market takes a 20% dump. So now you could suffer up to a 30% loss in the stock market and you have no recourse to get that money back. And he makes that very clear in part four right here. There is no guaranteed any proceeds from any product mentioned above managed by Fisher Investments 
will achieve any specified level of performance or that performance will be any higher than what could be achieved within the product. So if, if you are considering this, just be smart about it and don't get caught up in all the hype of these spectacular returns that have been listed here. And honestly, this should never be an issue if you are working with a competent annuity advisor, because this is what I do for my clients every day with my Atlas annuity strategy, which you can actually learn about by going to my website and watching 20% more spendable income in retirement, which is my video series. And all you have to do is go to atlasannuity.com, atlasannuity.com and go to the video section of the website. This is also where you can go and book a short phone call to get all of your questions answered and to find out if an annuity is appropriate for you. And to wrap this up today, if you found this episode helpful, like this podcast, subscribe to this podcast, please share it to anyone you think it could benefit because we want to get this word out to as many people as possible. Again, this is Marty Becker. I thank you for listening and we will catch you in the next episode. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Atlas Annuity Podcast. All information presented is for educational purposes only and is not a recommendation to implement any tax strategy, nor is it a recommendation to buy, sell, or transfer any security or insurance products. Atlas Financial Strategies Incorporated is an insurance-only licensed entity, and any decisions to buy or sell securities should be discussed with a licensed securities advisor, and any tax strategy should be discussed with a licensed tax professional. Past performance of any strategies or products mentioned are not a guarantee of future returns. For any other questions or concerns, please go to www.atlasannuity.com.